Father, we come to the point in our service where we open your word and desire, Lord, to be fed. We desire to worship and obey as we've prayed. And, and one of the things you've instructed us to do is to gather together and to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to, to share in your word with one another. And that's where we are at this point in the service now, is to share in your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way as to open our minds to receive and to act upon, Lord, the things that you put before us today. And again, we worship you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sit, please? Before we actually go to the word, I have a kind of a separate announcement to, to make um, in reference to uh, Dennis Rose. You know, we've been praying for Dennis for quite a while, and uh, so far, you know, people don't realize how amazing things are in one sense, uh, how he has defied all the odds already as far as what doctors thought would be the time frame for him to battle with this cancer. And while he has good days and bads, he's still working, he's still uh, active, he's still doing things that uh, sometimes are a struggle, but he needs our prayers. We need to continue to pray for him. But I think it's tomorrow, is, 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 or today, okay, is a memorial service for his uh, dad who passed away a week ago. And so just a special prayer for the family. And with that is something that I would ask of you. And it has to do with, in connection with the Christian school, which Dennis and, and Jennifer have been intricately involved in for years. And they have, every year, a jogathon. And the uh, jogathon this is this year is uh, Friday, September 20th. They uh, use the soccer field over on uh, Newburgh Park, and they, use, they lap. And so they, they tried to get sponsors, either in a straight you know, $5, $10, whatever, or so much per lap. I, and I tell people, I encourage you to, if you want to sponsor somebody, sponsor them so much per lap, and if you want to put a cap on it, then put a cap on it, okay? Because that encourages them to keep going and make it work. And, and uh, that's part of the thing is them putting out the effort uh, to, to raise these funds. And I have here today uh, a, a poster for that, but it's also to let you know that they, they, this, this is money raised for the school, but it's also something that they try to uh, uh, tithe that what they get in the, in, the, in the raising of it. This year they're going to use it to help meet Dennis's medical expenses. And so I want to make you aware of that, and that's why I'm bringing it to you today this way. I have a Jogathon sign-up sheet, and you can do this so many different ways. If there's a particular person, and there's a couple of kids in the congregation uh, this morning, well, they're not in here right now, but uh, uh, Brad's grandkids uh, are, that uh, are going to be doing this, you could put their names and in, in, in so much support if you wanted to, or you could turn around and say, okay, I'll, I'll give like 10 cents a lap for all the high school students up to so much. So like if there's 10 high school students and they, they run 30 laps and you're, you know, uh, on an average, which is high, believe me. 
uh, you know, that, that would be uh, two or three hundred dollars. You could, you know, so you want to be careful how you would do that, you know. But but uh, I'm just saying, think in terms of, of all different kinds of ways you want to do it. Or if you would like to sponsor me, I walk it. I don't jog it, but I do walk it. And so uh, uh, if you want to sponsor me so much of the lap, uh, that would be great too. So I'm going to put this uh, out on the. Uh, uh, Sign-up table. If you do, do that for me, Levi, put that out on the, the table underneath the missions, and uh, I guess put this with that too. And uh, I appreciate it. This morning, taking—I <laughs> was going to say taking a detour. I kind of already done that. Uh, more of a detour uh, in kind of. Uh, emphasizing what we'll be doing in a couple of weeks in reference to our parenting seminar. I'd like to look at the scriptures uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Uh, and the question that arises is who's responsible, whose job is it to uh, raise our children in the Lord as far as their spiritual training? And, 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 and I would go further than that. I would say all of their education and training where does the responsibility lie for seeing it accomplished in a godly way and, and influencing it and, and having ultimately the control over it? And I think Deuteronomy pretty well spells it out. So if you would join me in Deuteronomy chapter 6, please, uh, starting at the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as puntals between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts and on your house and on your, of your house and on your gates. The first two verses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, are verses that are familiar with us, to us from the New Testament. When Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, uh, not the first confrontation of the day, but probably at least uh, nothing less than the third confrontation of the day, and people trying to trip him up, ask him a question that he couldn't answer, or if he did answer it, he would have to upset somebody. And finally, the, the, the Pharisees decided that they'd heard the other questions, and Jesus came up with answers nobody had expected and caught everybody off guard, and they said, well, we'll fix him, implied. Okay, and so picking up with uh, chapter 22 of Matthew, um, this is the, the situation that happened, starting with the 34th verse. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the reason why this would be a test was because that was the constant open debate 
between the Pharisees, the Sadducees, which were like political parties on you know liberal party, conservative party, uh, and and the 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 scribes and the priests, they all would debate. Well, if you know which sin is the worst sin, which sins the you know. Uh, the thing that uh, if you were going to do something, you know, what would be the, the least of the worst? And all of debate, 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 debate. And it had nothing to do with accomplishing anything. It was just uh, people trying to see if they could come up with a new way of looking at something or a new way of saying it and, uh, and, and, and priding themselves on their ability to set the argument. So here is a Pharisee, conservative party, if you will, lawyer, and he says, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Because no matter what you say, you're going to alienate somebody. So Jesus doesn't quote any of the commandments. Instead, he says, verse 37 of chapter 22 of Matthew, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first command, commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He took from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, what was for the Hebrew people in all parties, if you will, all of the Hebrew people looked at this scripture as one of the key Reference scriptures for life. In other words, they, if, 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 if it was one of those things, if they didn't know any other scripture, they would know this one. Jesus targeted it very specifically and laid it out and said, this is the beginning of it right here. If you don't, you know, it, 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 nothing else matters if this isn't in place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might with all your strength is what is implied. The Hebrew people would have automatically, without a hesitation, this would have been, oh, he's quoting Deuteronomy. You know, they would have known that this was what he was doing. And it would have taken them back, certainly to the full context of this scripture, and the fact that there's responsibilities that go with that. When you know the Lord your God, there's something that should be happening inside you that causes some other things to happen. So I'd like to look this morning at what you might call the importance of this passage for today. Because, again, he, they're giving very specific instruction here. As you know the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love him with all your heart, soul, and might, tells them very specifically that these words shall be on your heart. How do they get on your heart? You learn them, okay? Any other thing that's going on? <laughs> Practice them, put them into effect. He writes it, okay? So we've got a combination of things. You learn them, you, write, uh, you, 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 you rehearse them, if you will, you recite them, uh, you memorize them. But if the Holy Spirit isn't there in the first place, then they're going to be pretty much worthless. But if the Holy Spirit is there, they become something that actually is on your heart. Meaning, uh, from the essence and the depth of your being, they're a part of you. That is important to grasp here because that, 
very essence of that is what causes what happens next to happen. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Wow. Kind of an interesting phrase there. And then it talks about putting them on, their, on your, their forehead, putting them on their wrist. They actually wrapped scripture on their wrist to, uh, in, on cloth. Uh, they actually wore a little thing around their head uh, that would hold scripture. Uh, they literally wrote them over their doorposts and on their gate posts and over the headers on their homes and stuff like that. And the whole idea was is that they would be seeing the word of God constantly in the sense of their home and, 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 and their, their, their place of life, the place where they lived. Not just the place where they go to worship, but the place where they lived. They would say, you know, and they would have scriptures, some of them having to do with their tribes, some of them having to do with other aspects, but they would have the scriptures uh, very clearly over their doorways and on their, door, their gate posts. And they, they, some of them became very prided, if you will, on you know, how, how much scripture they knew and, and this type of thing, and, and, and sometimes even missed the real implication was, is there something happening in your heart with all of this. So this scripture tells us, hear and know that our God is one. From us, as, as we look through the, 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 the life of Christ and back, we realize that our one God, even we can see it clearly in the Old Testament as we look through Christ backwards as well, that we're looking at God, made up of God the Father, seen through Christ the Son, present everywhere through his Holy Spirit. We're called Trinitarians because we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as we look at this God of ours, says absolutely we are to love him from the very depths of our souls. I think it's the easiest, you know, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, from the very depths of you, who you are. And if that happens through the, through the Holy Spirit in you, that happens, then these words shall be written on your heart. Now, again, there's a response then to this. If this is so important, then what would be the very next thing that you should do? Teach them diligently to your children. This word diligently, interesting word, means again and again and again. But it also is an interesting application how many of you are familiar with the context of the word to wet a stone? W-H-E-T, to wet a stone. Okay? Something that's not very common anymore because most knife sharpeners are on your, your, your uh, can openers or uh, some little handy thing like that. But the old way of sharpening a knife was you had a stone and you would run your knife back and forth over and over. Get an edge, uh, get a bevel on it and then get an edge on the bevel. And it's quite an art to, to, to sharpen knives that way. And uh, the, uh, 
idea is, is that you have to, it's, it's to sharpen by repeated grinding. This word means that it's used to, to the idea of diligently, is to sharpen by repeatedly grinding. <laughs> That's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it? Also, to sharpen a tool in order to make it useful. All of that's implied in this word diligent. So when we're told here very clearly that we are to diligently you know, train up our children here, uh, uh, teach them diligently the, 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 the commands of God, it is something that's going to be a lengthy, probably arduous at times, effort. And it's going to require very specific attention. And it's going to require uh, the idea of, of ongoing over and over and over again. And I looked at this and I thought, you know what, I, one thing I see here so amazingly, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just don't always tie certain things together in your mind until you, whatever reason, you look at it and say, this is a perfect picture of cause and effect. If, you know, and, and there's the argument, Paul uses this a lot of, in his strategies, in, 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 you know, if this, then that, and there's kind of a, a, an idea of, of, of an understanding. If the Holy Spirit is in me, and the word of God are written in my heart, and I love the Lord, the God, my God, with all my heart, soul, and mind, then... There's gonna, it's, not, it's not going to be something that I have to, to, that I want to run away from. It's going to be something that I want to do, something that I see that I need to do, something that I'm going to be driven to do uh, if my walk with the Lord is where it should be. And that's to automatically want my children to know what I know about the truth, eternal life, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And I will do everything I need to do, sparing no expense that's possible on my part to know, make sure that they know. I can't save my kids. But I am responsible to provide an understanding of what salvation is and how it works. And hopefully that they would see it in my life, my home life, and they would see that the, word, the importance of the word of God in our lives. And how often are we to take care of this situation? Once a week? Three times a week. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Well, that's the old-time religion. <laughs> Did I get a dig in there? I might have. says in the morning when they get up, when they rise, says when they lay down at night, while they're walking through the day, and while they're sitting. Pretty well covers the span of a waking day. It doesn't say you have to hit them over the head with it at night while they're asleep. But it, it, on day from the time they wake up until the time they go to bed, the opportunity to expose them to the things of God, 
You should be watching for it all the time. To say, oh, well, this is what God is doing in our lives right now. What an amazing thing. Wow, we all prayed together and, you know, uh, such and such happened. And, the, and they see the consequences and the, and the, and the, and the follow-throughs. And that they know that we are keenly aware of what's going on in Scripture and that it's an intimate part of our lives. I remember when my daughter uh, at, at, at uh, four years old uh, was uh, starting to memorize the books of the Bible. And uh, she said, Daddy, will you help me? And I said, sure. And I opened up the pages and I said, okay, go. And she says, oh, you need the, you need the, 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 the pages to do that? <laughs> Deuteronomy, the fifth book, uh, <laughs> uh, gives us a very clear picture that we as parents are responsible for the spiritual and moral training of our children. It's a biblical principle. There are multitudes of scriptural references for this. You're going to find them in Exodus. You're going to find more of them in Deuteronomy. You'll find them in Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah, Joel, in very direct ways. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I made a list of just a few, you know, that, that, that I could, I'll share, for instance, Joel. Uh, Hear this, you uh, elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land, has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? This is a, the, the things going on with locusts and all this kind of stuff. Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Psalm 78, the scripture reading this morning said the same thing about telling this generation to another generation to another generation. Isaiah just giving us that picture of that it's a process. To whom will teach... Uh, to whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those who are taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, uh, line upon line, uh, here a little, there a little. It's a process and it's a lengthy process and it goes on and on and on. And guess what? It still goes on no matter how old you get because... We can read the scripture of God and see new truth and new power and new uh, understanding and, and bits and pieces come together at different times where you just look at it. And uh, Mr. Young, whoa, look at that. This goes with that. I didn't know that. And you sit there amazed at the, the, the word of God. Clearly something that we are to read give to our children and our children's children. So even as grandparents, we're still responsible. In the New Testament, there aren't as many scriptures dealing with it, but there are a couple of general scriptures that, that are referred to uh, frequently as far as uh, targeting fathers as you know, raising or training or teaching their children and and, and all, and that's in Ephesians 6 and, and, 
and in Colossians chapter 3. Some will say, well, why just the fathers? It's not just the fathers, but it singles the fathers out as the picture of the head of the home, the headship principle. As the father does this, he's guiding the family, you know, and certainly the mother would be an intricate part of that as well. But just like I was just saying, oh, this goes with that, sometimes it's not just because I have been reading it or studying it or looking at it, but sometimes it's simply because I heard someone else that had been reading it and studying it and looking at it and said, oh, that's an interesting parallel. And then I go and I search it out and find out that it makes a lot of sense. And I happen to have in one of those that happened this last couple of weeks for me as I was listening to John Piper. And he just pointed out something very simple. Again, going back to, to Matthew, uh, this time chapter 19. And I, I've read the scripture, uh, I don't know, I, you know, lots of times. Uh, but I had not read it with this thought in mind. I'll share it with you as, I, as we go through it. So chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. By the way, who would be bringing the children? Parents, okay? The disciples rebuked the people bringing the children. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and then went away. I'd like to read this from the Gospel of Mark as well. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that might touch him, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Didn't see that in Matthew, but Mark was picked up on, on this for, for the purposes of his writing. He was indignant. So I had to figure out what this means. Greatly afflicted. Greatly displeased. Now what was he greatly displeased about? the disciples rebuking the parents for bringing their children. They were basically saying, we don't have time for, the, for kids. And Jesus was saying, oh, wait a minute, I'll stop everything for the kids. And he did. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for so, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. He took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. He was teaching, they bring in the kids, to, to, and he stops and, and takes the kids and picks them up, puts them in his arms. And, you know, it's one of these things. For the first time, I understood J.D. Wadley who was uh, a, a, an old-time pastor. His name was literally J.D. That weren't his, they weren't his initials. He, he wanted the kids in the service. Old-timer. <laughs> and sometimes there'd be a kid 
fussing. You walk out and pick up the kid and hold it. You talk to the baby for a few minutes and go down because he knew everybody else had been distracted by it. And you say, isn't the, the, the sound of life a wonderful thing? And you give the baby back, and he just preached a little louder. Just a, it's such a powerful picture here of the responsibility of the parents is to do what? Bring their children to Jesus, to his presence. And so I'm thinking, okay, how does this work today? Because we don't have him sitting here to do this. He's not sitting here like this and, you know, and, and teaching, and all of a sudden we can interrupt that. So how do we do this? Well, the obvious things, through his word. Certainly a starting point. Where his, taking your children where his word is taught. Prayer. Worship. And at home. And realizing your children are going to ask you questions about why you do what you do. Why you're committed to what you're committed to. Because they are just curious. Why do we go to church every Sunday while Tommy down the street goes uh, to, the, to the beach? George remembering just last week, Tommy inviting him to the beach and mom and dad saying, no, we have to go to church. You see something wrong with this picture? There is something wrong there in what I just said. Have to go to church. What are we teaching our kids every day? You know, I have to do this or we get to do this. Where is there an enthusiasm, an excitement about who you are in Christ and what Christ is doing in you that your kids can see? And so I started making it as, as another list like I do when I'm looking at these things. And, and there's this, this tag that comes out of the past. Wait a minute! <laughs> indoctrination, brainwashing, you know, uh, in, in a time of a plural society, are you not teaching your kids to be narrow-minded and thinking only in one direction? Guilty. And I'm not ashamed of it. I don't want to raise a prejudiced child, no. To incorporate a word that my wife invented, I don't want to raise a prejudicistic child. That's a one who's prejudiced and legalistic at the same time. It's not in the dictionary, but it should be. But I do want to raise a child who knows who the God of creation is who the God of salvation is. So the, the argument does, though, come from the public arena constantly. You're brainwashing your child. You're not giving them the opportunity to think freely. In fact, I uh, read a statement from 
uh, a, a, a pastor uh, just uh, on, online just a couple of days ago that was in reference to uh, being a little bit soft in this push for your children, you know, and, and, and so that they can, you know, fit in with their peers. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. The Holy Spirit, this is way too important. If you've got an admonition from God to do this and we're not doing it, for any excuse, we're failing. Some people from the church's point of view will say, well, I just don't know enough. Join the club. I've been fortunate that a lot of the questions my, my kids asked were the easy ones. Sitting in the shop, uh, I was making some things, and my, my, my daughters like to sit, in, and uh, especially when I'm making toys and stuff around Christmas, uh, the, 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 my daughter liked to sit and take all the odds and ends that were coming off the bandsaw, and on a big piece of uh, plywood, she'd sit there and start gluing and building things. And all of a sudden, she got one like this, and she says, Dad, can you explain that triangle thing again? Hmm? You know, about God and Jesus and, and, and the... the, 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 the Spirit, the, the whole, the, you know, she didn't, couldn't remember it. And so we got to sit down, stopped right there, and we, and we did this. We went through it. How important it is when our kids have the questions that we take the time. There's a tendency to say, not now, get away from me, kids, you're bothering me. Kind of a W.C. Fields approach, you know. Uh, and then, you know, they're, they're not, they'll, they may not come back to that. Most of you know Bev Earhart. She's sitting there uh, when her granddaughter, who she raised, two of them, in fact, but uh, the, the younger one, Bree, was pestering her with a question. Bev was trying to read something. Yeah, she, in fact, I think she had been praying and reading the word. And uh, she just, not now, not now, I'm busy. Not now, not now, I'm busy. Now, now, I'm busy. You know, it's kind of like, why, why? No, 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 I'm busy. And all of a sudden, it hit her. God has never done that to her. Changed her whole way of thinking. What if they ask a question I can't answer? They will. And you can discover it together. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with your kids knowing that you don't have all the answers, but that you're willing to help them and learn together. What an awesome thing. I also get my kids just aren't interested. I don't know quite what to say to that other than it's very possible that you're not as interested as you need to be either then. There's a real possibility of that. I don't mean to be unkind, but there's a real possibility. Need to look at that. But really, the importance of this teaching is so important to allow the child to dictate its value and its time is not up to them. It's up to you. What happens if we don't do this? Well, if you go back to Judges, Everybody's thinking, yeah, I know what happens there. 
But we'll just start at the beginning. Judges chapter 2. Starting with the verse 6. They were just you know, getting into the promised land, all the things going on. They just All this stuff in Deuteronomy had been taught to them not too far back. So all of this stuff is still fresh. And it says, when Joshua, and plus coming through the Exodus and all that God had done, all of these things still very fresh. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take the possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who had outlived Joshua. Joshua lived to be 110. (laughs) Who had seen all the great work. These men had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him uh, within the boundaries of his inheritance in in Timnath uh, Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all the generations also were gathered to their fathers, and there, and there arose another generation after them. Basically, two generations removed from Joshua. Another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. There's only one way that could have happened. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 were ignored. They are pivotal, important, foundational principles of the Scripture. The parents are responsible. Now, Catch this picture, then the parents are responsible. How does the church, as a body of believers, play into this? We as a church come alongside. We join with the parents as a body to help accomplish the sharing of the gospel with the children of our, of our congregation. And whatever, you know, however else the children, you know, bring it in. But as far as the body of Christ goes, we are not supposed to take the responsibility. We're not supposed to take the authority and say, we'll teach your kids for you. We are to come alongside and join with you in the effort. And there's mountains of scriptures that talk about uh, the, the, the coming together to worship our songs and courage and all this. It applies to the children as well as the adults. And when children become believers, when they accept Christ, they're not the church of tomorrow, folks. <laughs> they are the church. <laughs> we we want to make sure you understand that. And they need all the same help and encouragement as any other part of the body. And those that aren't there yet need to see it over and over and over, like sharpening on the whetstone, creating a tool that is useful. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us very clearly, verses 11 through 16, that, that God has given gifts to the church to build up the body to do the work of the ministry. The ones, the elders and the te- pastors and the teachers, it didn't say they were supposed to do the work of the ministry. We're supposed to raise you up to do the work of the ministry. In other words, uh, and you look at it, you think about this in, in, in Acts 
uh, when the, the, the first group of, 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 of men were chosen to serve outside of the apostles. They said, we don't have time to do this work of the ministry over here. We have got to spend our time in prayer and studying the word and preaching and t sharing and teaching. So we need to have a concert of working together to accomplish these things. The church comes alongside to minister, to encourage, to build up, to equip the entire body to do what it is called to do and not to do it for you, but to show you how to do it as well. Nothing more interesting than the phone call that says, Pastor, so-and-so hasn't seen anybody uh, for a while or hasn't been in church for a while. So, uh, somebody needs to call on them. Anytime you've gotten that far, you've already been spoken to. That's my opinion, anyway. You've already been spoken to. The parent, though, I want to emphasize this. The parent is responsible for the child. Because you're in church and your children go to junior church, Sunday school, or anything else does not release you from your responsibility to make sure that the table is not only set at church, <laughs> but it's set at home for them to feed on the word of God and the, and the knowledge of God and through you and in you. And by the way, this is true of all the training your child will go through. So it's not just the spiritual and the moral training. Luke Chapter 2, verse 52 says, Jesus grew, and, and it says he grew in wisdom, and, 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 and that's mental. He grew, it says that he grew in spirit, that's spiritual, he, in, in relationship with the, with, the, with the Father. He grew physically in stature, and, and he grew in faith. And so physical, mental, social, faith, all of this, grew in favor with God and men. Social. We are to be over and watching all aspects of our, of our children's lives, involved in every aspect of it, and looking at it. And, and I would suggest to you that anytime someone says it's the responsibility of this organization to decide what is best for your child, no, I, won't, I won't say that. Um, I'll just say no, it's not. God has not given the state, the federal government, or any local school district, or any other organization, any authority over your child in the sense of the training and building up. It's your responsibility. There's one more little part of this I want to catch this morning. Your own personal testimony of Christ in your life. You see, that's what these people were sharing in those first couple of generations. They'd actually seen the parting of the sea. They'd actually seen the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire. They'd actually seen the Shekinah glory over the, 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 the tabernacle. And, and they were sharing these things with them. And I thought, you know, I haven't seen those things specifically. But man, I can tell you what, I have seen God in all sorts of areas, places, and ways in my life. And even before I became a Christian, I can see God's hand in my life. 
That's part of my testimony. Do my children know my testimony? How God has worked in my life. The words of God and how they've worked in my life. The Holy Spirit and how he's worked in my life. The purpose of my life is to glorify God. Have they seen some kind of growth in that over a season and a period of time? I'm not saying that I have achieved I have to join Paul and just say, I'm just facing towards it and keep going. But I will share this one thing with you. And I've shared this before, but it's just this picture. You've had a series of those days that are just full of tragedy and frustration. Supposed to be on my way to Mexico on a missions trip. Church van is loaded, and I'm driving it down separate from the from the bus that we used to go down. And it's got tools and and stuff you just wouldn't believe what was in that van. On the way downtown to get gas, and didn't make it to the gas station. Not because I ran out of gas, because the car stopped. The van stopped. Got it to the mechanic to had him come and get it. He looked at it and he says, "We're not going to get it fixed. Within the, we won't. It'll have to be here for at least a week, just to get the parts and get working on." It. Went home, got my little Mazda hatchback, took out the back seat, and I got almost stuff in that poor little monster, but I didn't have a spare tire. And I thought, can't leave without a spare tire. And in the meantime, the tragedy that had happened. Sherry Clapp's daughter had passed away. And we were going to have a service on Sunday in Red Bluff. So I needed to get to Red Bluff and from Red Bluff to Mexico in my Subaru with no spare tire. That really bothered me. Went to Dave's, where I always go. They had no tire to fit it. Plus, I needed a rim for it, and he had no rims for it, even if he had had a tire to fit it. Not sure what I'm going to do, but thinking, i got to go. can't keep waiting. I've, I need to be over in Red Bluff. Went by my daughter's house to uh, get something that I had, one of my tools that I had been using to work on her house. And uh, coming down the street, look across the street, and where there's a, a, a guy that does you know, uh, four-wheelers and, and all kind of stuff like that on the north end of Main Street, uh, said, oh, down in the lower corner, used tires and wheels. Who knows? Maybe. Sure enough, he had both, the right size wheel and the tire, but he couldn't mount it for me. So back to Dave's. Dave's mounted. Guess where? Do you know where the in the Subaru hatchback where the tire rests? Over the engine, underneath the hood. Okay. Highway 36 going. Boom. I thought I had a flat tire, but nothing went haywire. I got out, walked all the way around, nothing wrong. So I went on about my business, got over there. Next morning, got up, drove around Saturday, no problem. Sunday morning, got up, 
getting ready to, to do the service and then do a memorial. My tire's flat. Jessica is there. Carrie and her are extremely close friends. She's waiting for me to explode. I didn't know this. She's sitting in her car with her mom, waiting for it to explode. I'm jacking up the car, taking the tire. I'm going to put it in her place. We're going to go and find a place if we can to, to get it fixed. And, she, and, and she, she didn't see it. And she just simply asked. And she's an adult. She says, when are you, when do, what's your breaking point? And I said, it depends on whether it was B.C. or A.C., before Christ or after Christ. That changed it. And it's been changing ever since. I looked at it as, I don't know why God is slowing this down, but he has a reason. By the way, it was to work what I figured was an absolute amazing show of God's sovereignty and hand on it. A place, the only place in town to get that tire fixed was Walmart. And they wouldn't be able to get it fixed until 5 or 6 in the afternoon. Until they found out I was doing Carrie Sutterland's funeral. Carrie had become quite the figure in the town because of her battle with cancer and her standing up for, you know, the run for life, relays for life and all of these kinds of things and speaking. They said, oh, it'll be done in a half an hour. How much on the house? I share this with you just to say we've got ongoing testimony. Are we, are we bringing our children into this? Are they, you know, are they coming into this? Even as grown children, do they come into this and to see this? this, is, this I, I put here the specific points where you know God has worked, his grace, his mercy, his guidance, his covering in your life. Are you sharing this with your children? Why we do what we do in Christ. Why we go to church. Why we sing. And not just at church, I hope. Why do we open his word here and at home? Why do we pray? Why do we share in the tithe and the offering? Why do we share in communion? What's it all about? These are all things that our children need to know. And we are responsible as parents to tell them. Let's share communion together. I'd ask the ushers to come forward, pass the emblems out until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
That song so clearly points to what communion is pointing to, the second coming of Christ, the joining of the, of the body of Christ with, with Christ, uh, or the bride of Christ with, with Christ the groom. And there's so many different pictures that are, that are drawn together, that picture of the church sitting at the marriage feast, mm -hmm. the body of Christ at the marriage feast, and, and looking fully on the face of Christ and seeing the awesomeness of who he is. But you know what we'll also see? We'll still see the scars in his hands mm -hmm. and the scars in his feet. It's an amazing thing to think about, but that's one of the things that makes him so beautiful. Mm -hmm. God so loved us. He so loves us. 
Christ gave himself up for his bride, for the body, for the church, that we might become, through him, everything God wants us to be. And the amazing thing is, is that he's going to look at us and he's going to say, you're beautiful. I hadn't thought about that before until this, you know, he's going to look at us and say it back. amazing thing. He loved us so much that and the, and the way he showed his love, he wanted to, to make sure we understood that we would practice in a sense over and over and over again the picture and receive over and over and over again the picture of what he's done for us. And that we would never hopefully grow weary of sharing in this communion. There are people who say, oh, you do it every week. Ah, that's way too often. Some churches that do it once a year. Some that don't do it at all. Book of Acts tells us as often as they gathered together, they broke bread together. We should never grow tired of sharing in what Christ has done for us. He took the bread at that supper the night he was betrayed, and, and, and he gave thanks to the Father for the bread, and he broke it, and he passed it to his disciples, and he told them very clearly, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup of wine. I see him holding it up and, and making sure they all could see. And just again saying, this is my blood that's poured out for you to purchase the covenant. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And then he asks us very specifically to do it until he comes again to share the covenant. Father, we take and share in the bread and the cup this morning with that confidence that the God of all creation has set a day and time that only he knows where what we just sang will become the reality. New heaven, new earth, resurrected bodies, all of the things that you have promised will come to fruition because you took our guilt Put it on yourself so that we can with all confidence say there, are no, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We rest in that truth. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We ask that you would go with us and cause us to be the, the men and women of God you want us to be, the parents, the grandparents, the neighbors, as we see children around us that we realize that they need to see, to hear, and to know what God is doing in our lives. And again, we worship you. We thank you for all that you are to us, all that you've done for us, all that is yet to be done. We rest with confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close?